0: Good morning, good morning. It is a good morning to to be in the house of the Lord. And we're, we're, we've begun last week a a sermon series, The Living Word, Eternal Word. We're going to continue that series today, looking at uh, Psalm 19, The Living Word, Eternal Word, The Word of God, written in the person of Jesus Christ. Today's sermon is really, it's about communication. It's about communication. With all the technology of our world today, communication is pretty incredible. when We think about it. Um, some of us remember the invention of the fax machine. Some of you remember that. When the fax machine, you said, "Wow, the fax machine! You can put it in there, boom, picks up somewhere else." Those machines, are, those fax machines, are still used, uh, but it seems like an old technology now, doesn't it? Turn me down. I'm loud. Was, Turn me down. They don't even hear that much. <laughs> Maybe it's this. Yeah, you know, we have instant messaging, we have emails, we have all these, these Twitter, all this communication uh, styles today, which are really remarkable. Years ago, after seminary, I had, one of my jobs that I had was, uh, I, was I was a courier. I in, in, drove the car down to southern Maryland and, and delivered uh, materials and picked up materials for banks, one of the things we did. And um, I don't know if couriers, I don't know if they even do that today. Everything's paperless now, as you know. You know I'm sure the courier is doing some work somewhere, but... I don't think that's an industry that is uh, thriving too much. You know, in the in the 19th century, Baltimore was a key player in communications uh, technology. In the the, in the, the, the new technology, the, the technology was the telegraph. People know this. Samuel Morse, uh, Morse, uh, 1844, the inventor of the telegraph, uh, he um, he was in DC and he had a patent to 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 create this new technology and the dots and the dashes that you have heard, you know, and it, 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 was, succeeded, it was successful in D.C., but the, but the question was, could it go long distance? And so, um, he set up a, a colleague to be at uh, Mount Clair Station, southwest Baltimore, and, and through, the, through the rail lines from D.C. to Baltimore came the first successful telegraph communication, May of, of 1844. And and, uh, and the and there's, there's a sign there down down there, the, uh, the, the first message is what hath God wrought, little King James English there, what hath God wrought? What a bad. But Mike Mike's in and out. I can hear me. Okay. What has God run? It's taken from the book of Numbers, chapter 22. uh, Chapter 23, verse 23. And um, this is Craig, so it goes right here. Anyway, so, so this the, the telegraph, Baltimore, part, part of that whole uh, uh, initial um, invention. Um, he, humans communicate in sophisticated ways today, as we know. But, but from the beginning, there was someone else who had communication in sophisticated ways. But in, also in simple ways, but the most profound way. And this is God. This is God. The one who speaks to humans and has been speaking from the beginning of time. In the fullness of time, he gave us his son. And one of the names of his son was Word, Logos, the Gospel of John. He is the ultimate communication of the triune God. Now, now since he is not visibly present in every generation and in every location, we have, we have the next best thing, his perfect written communication for us, the Holy Scriptures, the God, God's perfect word. Even before the, 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 the personal word that King Davis wrote, this song about He wrote this song about the fact that the God of the universe is a God who communicates to his creatures. He communicates to his creatures, and that's what Psalm 19 is about. Let's turn to Psalm 19. We're going to read it, and uh, then we'll, we'll, we'll make some comments about this, this Psalm 19, the Word of God. David's going to show us three distinct ways that God speaks. Find that past Stand Let's listen, listen to, to God's Word. Psalm 19, proscript <clears throat> to, to the choir master, Psalm of David, remind who, who wrote this psalm, humanly speaking. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There's no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through the, all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom, leaving his chamber and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them, and there's nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, and keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock, my redeemer. Amen. God's word. You may be seated. Great psalm, Psalm 19. We heard in, in Acts 17, that as, they, as Paul went to the city of Athens, that they had a feeling that there was a higher power that they didn't know. They had all these gods, but there was, an un, there was a sense that there was something missing in their religion. They had, they had a universal instinct to feel after God, and, and Paul says, yes, there is a God, the one who... We live and move and have our very being, as your your poets say. They have this religious instinct, this universal instinct that God has put inside of us. My my theme is that God has communicated clearly to all of us so that we can know him personally. He's communicated so that we can get to know him, so we can hunger after him. Are you getting to know God? Are you you searching after God? Are you seeking him? And how are you doing that? What means are you using to draw closer to God? I want us to see in this passage that the living God speaks to us through creation, through his word, and through his spirit speaking to our hearts. That's how we're going here. In fact, you can circle three words. You can circle the word heavens. You can circle the word law in verse 7. You can circle the word in verse 14, heart, because that's where we're going here. We worship a God who speaks to us through his glorious creation, the first, the first six verses here. Someone has said that the most fundamental question of philosophy is this. Why is there something rather than nothing? Why is there something rather than nothing? The question of beginnings, the question of origins, will always lead us ultimately back to God. If we dare be honest with ourselves. Either the universe has always existed, or there's a point in time when it came into being. And how did that happen? Either by chance, by a wise designer. God realizes that this is the most foundational question of mankind. and So he doesn't keep us waiting. The first verse of the first book of the Bible says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So there's our answer. He doesn't keep us waiting. And in this verse, verse 1, we're told that the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky proclaim, above proclaims his glory. Handiwork. And we have, we have what's, what they call synonymous parallelism. There's a parallel structure here, two lines, and they're synonymous, meaning they're same. And you, I think that you can see there, the heavens is the sky above. The declare, proclaims the glory of God, his handiwork. Synonymous parallelism, that Hebrew te- a poetic technique is used here by David. He's telling us in this verse that the God who created all things is constantly communicating that fact, the fact that he is... That he is every day, 24-7, 365, God is still speaking through his creation for all to see and all to hear and for us to wonder and to worship. Let's look more closely at at these first six verses. What kind of message do we see in the heavens, in the skies? First, it's a glorious message. It, it, it's a glorious message, it's, uh, uh, it's in the heavens, the skies, uh, Barnes says the word heavens here refers to the material heavens as they appear to the naked eye, the, the, the region of the sun, moon and stars. It's, it's gazing into the sky, the heavens, the skies. It, it's, it's, a, it's declaring or proclaiming, it's a clear communication. It's, it's, a, it's a message that can be heard by humans, it can be comprehended, God is not hiding from us, but it's a, it's a glorious message, it declares His glory. His handiwork. Barnes says this. The word glory here means that that which constitutes the glory or honor of God. His wisdom, His power, skill, faithfulness, benevolence, as seen in the starry worlds above us. The silent but solemn movements by day and by night. These convey to the mind a true impression of the greatness and the majesty of God. Verses... 2 to 4, keep keep telling us that it's, a. secondly, a continual message. Look at what it says. Day to day pours out speech. Night to night reveals knowledge. Bishop Horne says, there is one glory of the sun, which shines forth by day. There are other glories of the moon, the stars, which become visible by night. They are, therefore, like like two parts of a choir, chanting forth alternately in praises to God. You have the choir at more than a day and another choir at night ch- chanting the praises of our God, declaring, proclaiming. It, it's also, it's a universal message. It, it, it's, it's, it's a message that's for, to all the earth. It says here in verse 4 that the scholars talk about general revelations. Generally because all people, it's for all people to hear, to see, to wonder. Romans 10, the Apostle Paul quotes, this, quotes David as he speaks of, the, of God's voice, God's words, going to the ends of the world. John Calvin said, The presence of the heavenly host is a nonverbal testimony of God's existence that reaches every part of the planet. A nonverbal testimony of God's existence. So David focuses on the sun and the sky in, verses, uh, in verse um, f- 4 for and following. He talks about the sun. He gives two images there of the sun. One is, is the sun is like a bridegroom, a bridegroom, verse 5, which, which, in, in them he has sent a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber. A bridegroom joyfully leaves his room in the morning, just as the sun joyfully comes up in the morning. That's the picture. Out of the darkness of the night comes the, the joy of, of the morning. Out of the, uh, and, and from the darkness of the night comes the, the bridegroom out of his chamber joyfully in the morning. That's the picture. And the, the second uh, illustration here that, that David gives is like a strong man runs its course with joy. A strong man. Talk about the ancient runner. The ancient runner circling the track with majesty and with grace and with stamina mm-hmm. and, and with pace as he sees the sun circling, going, start, starting one point in the east and through the day just pacing itself through the day, like a like a runner, majestically going, graciously, powerfully, strong. So two pictures, so two pictures that, that, that David wants us to understand as he the great shepherd reflects just sitting out in the in the wilderness, would, would look and reflect and think and ponder about what he saw in the nighttime sky, the daytime sky. It's a universal message. <clears throat> it's a limited message as well. Romans 1 says this, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth for what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. He's pointing back to creation again. His power and his divine nature are clearly perceived the things that have been made, so that we are without excuse. And this is what Paul is talking in in Romans 1 and Romans 2 and Romans 3. talk about that as as this discussion goes on and on. But there's there's a limit to what we can learn from creation. We learn a lot from creation, but we don't learn enough. And that's why Romans 10 points to the fact that we need to know, we need to hear the gospel. What are we saying? God is a master artist. God is the master artist. And he paints on the canvas of the universe his message for all to see been said that a picture tells a thousand words. You've heard that phrase. That's good, but it's also not enough. Pictures can give clearly subjective feelings and impressions, but they don't always give the clarity that we need. Only words can bring clarity. Matthew Henry says, there are two excellent books which the great God has published for the instruction and edification of the children of men, and this psalm treats them both and recommends them both to our diligent study. The study, the, the book of the creatures, in which we may easily read the power and godhead of the Creator, and the book of the Scriptures, which will make us make known to us the will of God. And that's my, that's my next point, that, that we don't only, don't only have this glorious creation, we have the perfect word. Verses 7 to 10. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. And then we have this, this again, we have this parallelism, this, this poetic device. Uh, uh, it, 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 that, that David uses. He turns from general revelation to the special, the particular revelation that we have in the scriptures. One commentator's con- constable says, the, the revealed word of God has the same dominant influence over humankind as the sun does over nature. Think of it. Whereas the sun restores natural life, God's law restores life of the human soul. The sun dispels physical darkness, but the word of God removes the darkness of ignorance from our understanding. It's flawless and reliable. So this word that, that David is describing is the word of the Lord. It's the law of the Lord, the testimony of the Lord. It's the Lord's the, the word of the Lord, the testimony of the Lord, the, the commandment of the Lord, the Lord Yahweh, the, the covenant God, the victorious warrior God who's rescued his covenant people against the greatest enemies that we have. Again, we have the, the, the poetic structure here, and um, the structures, you have a chart here. You can see uh, the three aspects. We have the term for the word, then we have the character of the word, and then the impact of the word. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. Word, character, impact. I want to look at, that, literally at all these. Just I want to touch base with a couple of these and lift out a few important things here. First is this first one, the law of the Lord. And, but, but he's not just talking about the first five books. You know, the, the first five books of Moses were called the book of the law, Moses' law. Um, Craig talked about that last week, the book of, uh, this book of the law shall not depart from you. He was talking about the first five books of Moses. But here David's talking about all the, the, just the, the word of God, because the word of God was still being developed. Now we have whole 66 books. The law of the Lord, the canon of Scripture. Uh, the law of the Lord, it is, it is, it is perfect. Uh, the most interesting thing about this first category... Of the terms, the one that's, that, that jumps out at me, you have the law, testimony, precepts, commandment, fear, and rules, is a fear. Why, why, why do you use the term fear? The fear of the Lord. Now, that gets us to understand that, that, that the scriptures should arouse something within us, it arouses emotions within us. That God has spoken to us. Remember at Sinai when God spoke to the children of Israel at the mountain? Remember their response? Their response was fear. They were petrified. They said, Moses, you go talk to God. We, 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 we don't want to talk to God. There was a fear when God spoke. And we forget that, don't we, as we see the words on the page. was reminds us, He was 13, that our God is a consuming fire. The fear of the Lord, Proverbs says, is the beginning of Wisdom. Look, if we really understand who God is, the one who put this creation together, put the universe together, we'll fall on our face before him, folks. Absolute reverence, absolute awe, absolute fear of of such mighty power. See, because in Scripture, the bad news always precedes the good news. We like to run to the good news. We forget about the bad news. The bad news is we have an awesome God who owes us nothing but judgment for our sin. Many of us have a problem, and our problem is that we've probably been hearing too much uh, of of the New Testament and not enough of the Old Testament in one sense. We've We've heard preachers apologizing for the holiness of God, haven't we? God is holy. We're afraid to make people feel uncomfortable before God. We should feel uncomfortable before God, in one sense, apart from God's grace. We resist talking about things like rebellion and judgment and sin. Instead, we we think that God owes us mercy, grace, and love. Isn't that what God does? He owes that to everybody. Scriptures don't say that. It is said that most people get the idea from preachers who fail to rightly give the entire counsel of the Word of God. And and David is clear here. First and foremost, God is holy and we are not. We're going to get into that in the last point. The fear, the scripture is called the fear of the Lord because that's what it should arouse. There should be a a soberness as we see the Word of God, as we hear the Word of God, as we see ourselves falling short of it. And and then that's the middle category. And then then, then the the third category is just the impact. Look at the words. It it revives the soul. It it makes simple people wise. It rejoices the heart. It it enlightens the eyes, endures forever. It's righteous altogether. Psalm 119, verse 160. All your words are true. All your righteous laws are eternal. Word of God. Kevin DeYoung says, uh, God's Word says what is true. Like the psalmist, we can trust in the Word knowing that it's altogether true. We we can't trust everything we read on the internet, maybe some of you do, (laughs) warning. (laughs) We can't trust everything we hear from our professors. We certainly can't trust all the facts of our politicians. We can't trust the fact checker who checks the politician's facts. (laughs) Statistics can be manipulated, photographs can be faked, magazine covers can be airbrushed, our teachers, our friends, our science, our studies, even our eyes can deceive us but the Word of God is entirely true, and always true. Another very powerful characteristic of, in our day is this assertion that the Word is right. It is right. You know how, many few, how few people believe that in our day, that the Word of God is right? People question what God has clearly written in His Word, the impact. Uh, it revives. That, that's a picture of something being dead, having life again. It converts something, it changes. Changes our our hearts, our souls. The Spirit of God uses the word to bring change. And with that change comes joy. Nothing has brought more joy in my life than Scripture. And see what, what Scripture does in my life. I've been reading it for years and studying it for years and trying to grapple with it, and I don't understand it all totally yet. Probably never will. That's okay. The more I read it, the more I study it, the more I meditate on it, and seek to align my life with it, the more I experience the blessing and joy of God. And some people feel that, that the Bible is a crutch for the weak. Okay, well, it is. I'm weak. I need God. I need, I need to be changed. Don't we all? But God says it makes the simple become wise. That's what God, that's what God says. and God is right. So we, we ignore the lies of Satan whose first word to mankind way back in the garden. You remember what it was? Did God really say? To doubt what God had said. There are many voices of Satan today who want to doubt, want to doubt what God has said. Moving on, v- verse 11, it talks about the fact that the scriptures are more desirable and sweet as honey. These are emotional word pictures that, Paul, that David is painting. He can say in Psalm, Psalm 119, I love the law. His connected, his, his love for the scriptures because it's the voice of God to him. Not because it's the book, because it's God's voice. And every believer should understand that. Paul in Romans says, The law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. doesn't always feel good sometimes when you hear God saying things you did, did, well, your life's not in line with it, but it's good. It's right. It's holy. Paul said later in Romans 7, I delight in the law of God in my inner being. And every believer needs to do that, needs to have that attitude towards the Word of God. We love our Bibles, not because they're the Bible, but because they point us to God. You see, we, we don't love Moses or David or John or Paul, we love the Lord. I love the Lord, David said, and that should be the heart of every, every true believer. What we learn about God from creation is true, but it's limited, enough to render us without excuse. But, but not enough to save. In his word, God gives us much more information, and the information is sufficient enough to all the things that we see here to revive, to convert the dead soul, to bring joy, to bring blessing, to bring enlightenment, to bring wisdom to our lives. The last thing in the passage, again, we have his communication to creation, through his word. This last section, verses 11 to 14, a little bit more subtle here. A repentant heart. Here we have David, his reflection on this fact that this God has communicated to him, and we see his heart. We see his repentant heart. Repent is a strange word to many of us. When Jesus came on the scene in the Gospels, remember the, the way the Gospel writers had introduced Jesus to us the first three Gospels? The kingdom of God is at hand. In the next phrase, was it, go get your weapons, let's fight against the other king? No, that's not what it was. The kingdom of heaven is at hand get ready, your blessings are around the corner because you're a king's kid. Is that what he said? No. The kingdom of God is at hand. So smile, God loves you anyway. Is that what he said? What did Jesus say? The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent. Repent before the king. Turn. There's something wrong with us. We see God, truly see God for who he is. We see ourselves for who we are and we must Understand that we need to repent before him. Again, the holiness of God. To repent is to turn, to change, a change of mind, a change of heart orientation towards God and towards his will. To say, I'm wrong, God, you are right. To say, I need you to lead me because I can't lead myself. It takes humility. It takes faith. It takes grace. It takes the spirit of God to give you the heart to even do that. So so these last verses, I want you to understand, are not about our position in Christ. It's about our condition. It's not about the the position of our life. It's about the condition of our heart. Uh, Warren Wiersbe, a Bible uh, teacher, says, the mark of a true Bible student is a burning heart, not a big head. A burning heart, not a big head. See, our position before God is that we are perfect in Jesus Christ. His work on the cross in our behalf gives us a clean record. All who call on the name of the Lord shall be saved, it says in the Scriptures. This is the gospel. This is justification that we are declared righteous. But here David is not addressing that. He's addressing the condition of our hearts. Sanctification, the the holiness that's flowing from us as the Spirit enables us to walk with God. And so, in verses eleven to thirteen, we see warnings and rewards. He, 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 he,
1: moreover, by them is
0: your servant warned. There, by, by them, by the word—in verses seven to ten about the word—by your word is your servant warned. He says, "I'm warned as I read your word." In keeping them is great reward. So there's there's warnings and there's rewards, curses and blessings. The scriptures talk about. It says, "Who can discern his errors?" It's a question. The errors. Who can discern the errors? Of, of, of his, he's talking about himself. Of his servant, David, David, servant of the Lord, the King, who can discern his errors. He says a couple, 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 couple phrases he used about uh, the errors. First is the term uh, "hidden faults." Verse 12: um, Declare me innocent of hidden faults. These are these blind spots, things that, that that are wrong in our life that we don't even know they're wrong in our life. That's why we need the body of Christ to help us. <laughs> Secret faults, hidden faults, Clark says, from those which I have committed and have forgotten, from those for which I have not repented, from those which I have committed in my heart, but have not been brought to act in my life, from those which I have committed without knowing that they were sins, sins of ignorance, from those which I have committed in private, for those for which I blush and confound it, were they to be made public. Hidden faults, hidden faults, secret faults. He talks in verse 13 about presumptuous Sins, sins of pride, of presuming things about yourself. That that look at he says that let them not have dominion over me. Dominion's a strong word, control, dominion, authority, lordship. You know, all sin is an issue of lordship. Who's going to be lord? Who's going to have control of your life, of your heart? That's what that's what sin is. Sin is not letting Christ control you, but say I'm going to take control. Presumptuous sin, a sin of pride, dominion. Then he says, Lord, then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Blameless and innocent of great transgression. He's talking about big stuff here. The big stuff. The great stuff. The big stuff. And, and we don't know exactly if this, if this psalm was written early in David's life or later in David's life. But we know something about his life, don't we? In his life, there was a great fall. There was great, big transgression in David's life. Clark says, most men have committed some particular sin in which they ought to deplore as long as they breathe on account of the enormity of which which they should forever be humbled. There's a phenomenon that I like to call the irony of sanctification. There's an irony to this thing of of Christian growth. The more you grow, the more you feel you need to grow. The, The more of your sin you see, the more unworthy you feel, the more you, you, you go to Christ, actually the more holy you're becoming. You just don't feel it. That's kind of the irony of the Christian life, that those who are more mature don't feel more mature because all they can see is how much, how far they fall short. I remember when I first became a Christian and I thought the, that, that holiness and sanctification was just not doing certain things. I read my Bible. I found that sin is a lot more subtle than that. It has to do with the inner life. And it was like, woe is me. And I've never left that. And I hope you've never left that. I hope you understand that, that, that growth in Christ is not just checking off things that aren't part of your life. It has to do with the inner heart, your inner motivations, the inner, inner drives, your aspirations, your affections. is the word that Jonathan Edwards loved to use. A the great theologian. sanctification. It's like the sun. The closer you get to the sun, the more you feel the heat. (laughs) You ever notice how astronauts wear these uniforms, these these incredible uh, space suits? They need to be shielded from the direct exposure to the sun. Getting closer to God, resisting temptation, killing bad habits in your life. You can only do those things if you're clothed in the suit, the righteousness, the robe of Christ. It's the only way you can get close to Christ, but you should be getting close to Christ because you wear that robe. King David understood great transgression in his life and began when he saw Bathsheba and he gazed at her and then with his mouth he told his men, go get her. Great transgression. And then David talks about the rewards of, of, the rewards of heeding Scripture. The rewards, great reward, this great reward, this blessing by heeding scripture. David had learned that until he had his great fall. you know We need to understand that, that there are many blessings that God gives us simply by grace because he desires in his, in his treasure house of grace to give us what we don't deserve. But then there are also blessings, I think this verse tells us that, that, it, that, are, that are conditional. That he gives us certain blessings because they are rewards of faithfulness example. Honor your parents. That it may go well with you. You go, go well because you honor your parents. Even Joshua one You stay in the word, success, and blessing. We will not experience the blessings of God by just having Bibles or reading Bibles or studying or hearing sermons about the Bible. The psalmist says there's a reward for those who keep who follow, who obey the word. The blessing comes by doing what he says, heeding, keeping the word of God. James chapter 1 reminds us of that. But be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. If anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. He looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law the law of liberty, and perseveres. Being no here, but for who forgets, but a doer, her acts, he will be blessed in his doing. There's a, again, there's a sense in which, if we see what Scripture says about ourselves, and, and we say, I need to change, we look into the law of the perfect law and say, I need to change my life. God, help me change my life. I I need to to, to 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 be in line with what Your Word says more and more and more. That's when the blessing comes. That's when we experience the liberty, the freedom that Christ has for us. Like David, we should meditate on the word. We should study God's word. Look at verse 14, the last last verse. Let the words of my mouth, meditation of my heart, be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock, my redeemer. He ends his thoughts on God speaking to him with a prayer for his own inner life. You see that? God speaks to to us through his spirit. It moves us to prayer. The words of my mouth, meditation of my heart. Lord, the one who who can keep us from those hidden faults. Lord, who can keep us from presumptuous sins. Who can keep us from the great transgression. The Lord, the mighty one. My rock, the one who is stable, solid, secure. Who can keep us from falling. My redeemer, the one who has purchased forgiveness through his shed blood. The Lord Jesus Christ. Hebrews writer says, long ago and many times... In many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, He spoke to us by His Son, Jesus. He spoke to us many different ways in the Old Testament; we have that recorded. But His last word to us is the word that comes through the Lord Jesus Christ on the Mount of Transfiguration. A voice came out of the cloud saying, "This is My Son." My chosen one, listen to him. Listen to him. One of the presidential candidates was interviewed a a, a while ago. He declared that he doesn't have anything in his life to ask forgiveness for. This is very troublesome. Nothing at all that you think you need to ask God for forgiveness for in your life, in your long life. No no regrets. He said I'm a good person, I'm a smart person. What is troublesome is that he is simply articulating out loud what by nature we all believe about ourselves. We're pretty good. Only grace, only the spirit of God can move a human being to say I need God. I need the grace of God. I need the spirit of God. I need the forgiveness of God. You know the story. That that penitent man said, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. He beat his breast. We need to stand in line with him. (laughs) We need to sing the song, Nothing in my hands I bring, Simply to the cross I cling. Naked, come to thee for dress. Helpless, look to thee for grace. Vile I to the fountain fly, wash me, savor, or I die. Rock of ages, cleft for me, let me hide myself in thee. But the water, the blood from thy riven side, which flowed, be of sin the double cure, Cleanse me from its guilt, its power. We just sing that song to the rock. We just sing. There is a redeemer, Jesus, God's own son. Precious Lamb of God, the Messiah, the Holy One. Jesus, my Redeemer, name above all names, precious Lamb of God, Messiah. Oh, for sinners slain. Thank you, Father, for giving us your Son. Leaving your Spirit till the work on earth is done. Lord, my rock, my Redeemer. God has spoken to us, folks. Through creation, through his word. And he speaks to us finally, if we're open, if we're repentant, to our hearts, that we might be changed and transformed, that we might know him in a personal way. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that you're a God who has not left us in silence. You have spoken to us and you're speaking to us each day. Lord, help us to respond to what you have to say to us. Thank you that we have your word, that, that more special communication. Thank you for that that, that when we believe in you, you give us your spirit into our hearts, giving us that sense of sonship and giving us that illumination that we understand more and more of who you are. You give us the, 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 the gift of conviction of sin, that we might know our faults and turn to you afresh, Lord. But use this word in our lives, use this passage, Lord, to give us a sense of the joy that it is to know you in Jesus' name.